Hello and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Michelle Jones. I'm Laura Barton. And I almost just said your name because your name always <laughs> comes first. Don't do that. <laughs> so this week we are covering the chapters 1 Nephi, <laughs> chapter 16 through 22. Um, and the title of our lesson in our manual is, I Will Prepare the Way Before You. It's interesting, it wasn't until I was like a chapter in that I realized just how much content we were covering this week. Mm-hmm. There's really quite a lot happening here. We cover a lot of material, both in distance traveled by this family and also in our timeline in the scriptures and then end with some Isaiah. So, you know, we have a few things that we can talk about today. Um, One of the things that I was struck by this week as I was reading more than other times that I have is what a beautiful thing it is that Nephi chose to invite us into the real like vulnerable inner workings of their journey and of their time together as a family as they were uh, following these commandments you know he could have perhaps just included only the visions or only the content where doctrine is being shared but instead we get a lot of insight into the relationships and the specific struggles that are happening within this family Right. I think that this it's it's not a coincidence that First Nephi, which is probably the most read scripture in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, is about a family and the journey they take and in their life. And as we liken the scriptures unto us, we all have some point of reference for what that looks like. And I think he's done a really great job in First Nephi expressing that his personal revelation is actually put into action not just setting up the future of the Nephites, but putting it into action into a family and what that looks like in the dynamics of a family and how that plays out. And like, I found it very validating because it matched my experience, not that I've ever been tied up by someone in my family, just for clarity, but it matched my experience that even if everyone's got good intentions, it doesn't mean that everything just unfolds how you think it ought to in this really lovely picture you may have in your head. Isn't that the interesting part about dynamics of relationships is that we're all different. So it'll never just play out the exact way you think in your head it might. So I like that you use the word interesting and I kind of use the word, word like... I mean, there's like a really beautiful synergy that can develop from it, but on the road to there, I think frustrating is a word that many people often feel. So we start out here, we're in chapter 16, and we've got something new. So we've just come off of the Tree of Life vision and Nephi's own vision, and so we've taken a little detour in getting some really amazing gospel foundation there and some doctrinal teachings and now we're back into the journey and we start in verse 9 Lehi um, hears the voice of the Lord he says the voice of the Lord spake unto my father by night and commanded him that on the morrow we should take this journey into the wilderness so we are preparing to continue forth in our journey Um, and so they did take their tents and depart in verse 12 Um, traveling for the space of many days. I'm trying to look and see. Oh, no, we're down here still. (laughs) Um, And so I thought, you know, again, we're seeing just this ongoing consistency of obedience by Lehi as he's traveling along. And then um, 
And Laura, help me out here when, oh, here we go. In verse 10, we're talking about the Liahona. So they come out and they are given this additional sort of tangible way to not only get direction from the Lord, but to, in many ways, it was a barometer of how things were going for them, whether this was going to respond and show them where they needed to go or not really give them much direction at all. I think it's interesting that we've already been shown by Nephi and Lehi that they're very capable of receiving revelation and getting direction directly from the Lord for what to do. So I think it's interesting that they were given this physical object that would also give that direction. Right. I love that when Joseph Smith uh, receives the brass plates, he receives the sword of Laban and he receives the Liahona and they already have the sword of Laban with them, which to me has started to represent this lower law, this tangible works and efforts that can show you results. And now we're getting the Liahona and the Liahona represents the spirit and, and the direction it gives you. And like you said, Lehi and Nephi already have a pretty good idea of how this works, but isn't it a wonderful symbol about how they receive this? First of all, Lehi, wait, Lehi is already being obedient to the word. He already knows he's going to go forth and follow the inspiration of the spirit. Yes. They've not yet received the Liahona, but they're already ready to continue, right? Then they receive the Liahona. And the Liahona is something that seems somewhat familiar, but clearly it did not come with an instruction manual. There was no, this is how it works. And yet, like you said, Lehi and Nephi are already familiar with it, so it's really nice because we eventually get that, yes, by faith and obedience and diligence, it will work. But initially, it's so scary. It is something that they have never seen before in their life, and clearly it's supposed to be helpful, but they don't really know how to navigate that. What does that look like? I have these impressions, I have this experience, and I know it's taking me in some direction, but I'm not quite sure how this works. And so they get to all realize that it takes it takes some seeking and reflecting and understanding before you really see how this works. Again, no instruction manual. And so I thought it was really interesting. Of course, we're told that it gives them direction. But I, I really liked in verse 16 where it says, they followed the direction of, of the ball, which led us to more... Fertile parts of the land, and it and it gave them the ability to obtain food for their family. Not only did it give them direction, not only did it um, help them know what they were doing in the future, it also sustained them with nourishment. Literally helping them to right, find food which I, and I, water. I right, mean, these are like essential life giving. Right, which I feel like finding. when we talk about the Liahona, we always talk about that direction and the compass that it provides. But I think it's not giving it enough credit by not acknowledging it. And that's how they found their food. That's how they were sustained. That was their manna too. And so the spirit can be all things to people because we kind of focus on the word of God being the scriptures because the Liahona changes as you look at it, right? The message will change on it. And sometimes we it's very easy to parallel that with the scriptures, how when you look through the scriptures with the spirit, you're like, I've read this before and I'm reading something new this time, right? Right. But I think in all things, it can apply to that. And when... As you were sharing that, the word that came to me or the phrase was a second witness, that although Nephi and Lehi already understood how to communicate with the Spirit, how to recognize that they were having visions and instructions from the Lord, the Liahona provided a second witness for them, and what a comfort that must have mm -hmm. been to them to have this other... Um, 
outward way that everybody can be unified and seeing the same direction at once as this whole family unit. You know, as this family unit's growing, as they're traveling, this is something that more people can participate in than just the receiver of the vision, which makes me think of things like our prophet who guides us and we can all, as a unit, as a body of Christ be receiving that direction together in unity. And of course, then each person decides for themselves how they want to follow the directors. On I that. think that's awesome. I love that you brought it in as a second witness that helps unify people because I think that's actually one of the big themes as we look at the Liahona, the bow, the boat, that this second witness is a unifying um, agent is, is a really good theme to look at. And it helps to reinforce for them the importance of harmony and not having contention between mm-hmm. them. I really think that's... Again, back to real life, right? Yeah. How can we work mm-hmm. on that? So we, you mentioned the bow. When we get down to um, verse 18, they've been traveling in the wilderness for some time, just on an ongoing travel moment, and they are undoubtedly extremely tired and hungry. Um, When you watch the new videos that they put out, it really communicates to them that there is quite a lot of, you know, fatigue in the camp. And this story, I think, is very well known. They're out hunting and Nephi's bow breaks. And I think it's so funny that everyone's mad at him that the bow breaks. Right. As if Nephi wanted the bow to break. You're the last one who has actually taken care of everything and done a really good job being responsible and we are all dependent on your bow and because your bow breaks we are going to take it out on you right because clearly this is all your fault that this happened and but isn't that interesting about nephi's personality that because of his steadfastness people think that they can just dump on him it's like his faith is so strong that it you know nephi's pretty impenetrable i just think that's a really interesting example well, and I think of his trials, <laughs> right? And also the other thing that I thought was interesting, like that this was included, like this seems like a small thing. And yet in that moment, I imagine that not only were they hungry and fatigued, but there was some fear there too. They're literally in the middle of the wilderness. They have no food to eat and their source of obtaining that food is now gone what will happen as they look at their children and their families. Right. There's a lot of lashing out here, but there's also a lot of ability to empathize with these people, right? These people have taken children into the wilderness, pregnant people, elderly people. My husband is six, four and, and I know what hangry looks like. I mean, I say my husband, I get hangry myself. You know what I mean? It's when your temporal needs needs are not met, it is very hard to then actually rely on a higher um, well, sustaining power. It's hard. Isn't it difficult, I think, to be totally in sync with the spirit and to respond in a way that the spirit is thriving with you if you are physically in distress? Like I, I think that that takes some special effort in order to still maintain with that. I think it's interesting because part of our experience here on earth in our physical bodies is that we're subject to our mortal needs and infirmities. That's part of what we're here negotiating. So I think it's really relevant that we're here in the nitty-gritty of the daily journal of the daily journey here. And um I think, you know, despite everything that is going on here for Nephi, I noticed so I tend to when I read the scriptures, one of the things I tend to notice is patterns. And I don't know if it's part of that habit of trying to 
liken scriptures to ourselves, but what what do I see or the steps or the path that Nephi followed and how can I then use that when I have my own broken bow and whatever, every, you know, contention and not feeling like people are understanding me. So in verse 23, Nephi decides he's going to make a bow out of wood. And I thought that that was really powerful that the first thing he does is he does what he can to make the situation better. Um, And then the next thing he does is ask. And I think, again, one of the things that I think is really kind of beautiful and a very specific um, part of his humility is that he then turns to his father and asks him, where should I go find this food? So he's asking and again, it's not that Nephi can't pray and find for himself where to go and find the food. So I think there's something significant that he included his father in this conversation, inviting him again with the unity and the body of Christ, like coming together to invite him to be part of that revelation process and probably to bind up some of these tempers that had flared and Absolutely. And I, uh, Nephi's example, specifically um, the way you're describing it right now is what hit me the most reading it this time, because Nephi, I, I talked before about um, after the last time his brothers roped him up, that when they, uh, when they sought repentance and they apologized, he forgave them frankly. And I thought, what an amazing example of charity, because Nephi understands the principle that the second you let Satan start working in your life, the second you feel justified in your anger, the second you feel justified in your um, sense of this is beyond humanly fair, Satan can start working with that. Nephi understands this principle of the power of unity. There's so much power in numbers. There's so much strength in being unified. And Nephi understands the principle about but about humility and turning to his father, knowing that his father is the prophet, his father has that leadership, that the patriarch is important, and he has that humility for him to know that things are not going well. And, and quite frankly, they would have already had bows by now if that were a skill that they knew how to do. I, I don't know. This is a little bit of a privileged family that came from Jerusalem, and I'm sure there were craftsmen there that they bought steel bows from. Right. They don't know how to... Cra- so they would already have bows if they knew how to make more bows, I, I am inclined to say. And so Nephi humbles himself and says, I don't know what to do, but I can go and do the things that the Lord hath commanded. And so he doesn't know how to create a bow, but he does know how to turn to the creator to do the work he has to do. And in humility, he then recognizes that continually creating unity in his family is the way that they will be sustained through the spirit and how They will be sustained through their journey in the wilderness. And so his example of charity, looking towards unity, um, knowing that Satan can create discord anytime you start giving in to that um, darkness and negativity that Satan can bring into a family or into your own personal experiences or into your own family unit in the church, that it is important to recognize that The Lord has created organization, leadership, for the purpose of unity and harmony so that we can be one as the body of Christ. And so, yes, Nephi understands these principles. Yes, and that truly that is where we will find our 
our sense of centered calmness, our peace, our joy. Like as you were speaking, I think you were making reference to also like our congregations within the church as well, like that having that unity. Because at first it may seem like it would be more satisfying to be really irritated at everybody for giving you a hard time about breaking the bow. So, you know what? I'm going to go make a bow and I'm going to bring the food back and I'm going to show you that I, I got it. I can do it. Yep. I got it, right? I don't need you. And and that that would feel like satisfying to be able to be like, see, I knew I could, right? But instead he recognizes that our true eternal satisfaction and joy comes from building that unity together. So I love that. Um, and part of this also, when I'm looking at this pattern that I saw after he asks, he trusts, he trusts the process. He trusts because he's put it to the test again and again and again, that if he turns to the Lord, the Lord's going to direct him. Mm -hmm. If he turns to unity and turns to these focuses, that that is going to bring him what he needs. So he goes and so his father humbles himself, prays, they get direction Nephi goes to hunt. He is able to obtain food. Go ahead. Well, specifically, then we see as a result, the pointers, they learn that that is what, and if you see this, this builds. So they learn through obtaining the bow and, and, and this experience, how part of the Liahona works, which will foreshadow an understanding that they need on the boat. hundred percent. Nephi knows how to turn to the Lord and create something because of this experience, which is clearly going to help him and is foreshadowing the boat. And so he builds, the Lord teaches us line upon line, step upon, precept upon precept. And this is showing how these things build on each other. And even though Nephi knows that, one of the interesting things that it does is that it gives this really nice visual for maybe Laman and Lemuel or others who don't know how to make that connection to the Lord, but they can look and see if the Liahona is working or not, which again is what's preparing us for this boat that we're foreshadowing okay, here so, is going to be coming. So big picture, before we move on, we look at unified organizations and how they are organized. You know, our church has a head of the church, our prophet. We also have a bishop that that has a leadership position, and he serves as an example for us of what to look to. And as we see how the Lord has organized his work, we can learn from that and we can build relationships on that. And hopefully we can bring it into our home and recognize that as parents, that our role is to be a steward over our children, but to teach them the ways to turn to Christ. And isn't this all, every time we look to leaderships and examples, isn't this all symbolic of our heavenly father and how he wants us to turn to him. So when I say this, I'm the big picture here is that unity and learning how that works and knowing that people that are in positions of leadership are not stewards over you, oppressing you and being authority figures that um, are trying to exploit you as Laman and Lemuel might see through these experiences, that this is really an organization to strengthen us, to help us turn to Christ, to help us um, know where to look. Not because, because in this family, you have two sets of people, one that recognize that the organization of a family is there to strengthen you and, you know, and to help you grow closer to the savior versus some people that see these authority figures as oppressing them and trying to control them and making their life harder. Right. And one of the things that I thought was interesting too, is that you can almost flip that on its head and say in the same way that we can see that pattern and gain 
some perspective on that. I think that it's also true in the reverse, meaning that when we, like we, we learn a lot in our family units about fresh starts and forgiving and unity and moving forward from misunderstandings. And I think that there's a lot there that we can translate to our experience within the church and not expect people in the church to somehow be above the very things we experience in our own lives on a regular basis within our Love family Love that units. connection, Michelle. So, um, so yes, we see in verse 28 that they are learning specifically about the pointers of the Liahona. And then I love that one of the things that I have noticed is that Nephi always, always, always gives thanks. And I think that that is something that has really stood out to me is that no matter where we started, when the Lord comes in, he it gives thanks. And I don't think that that's a coincidence or I, or like a side note, a little footnote to the conversation. I think it's fully integrated as part of the pattern for being able to have this connection to God to be able to trust and feel confident in that connection. I just love that. I think Nephi understands that challenges are a part of life and that when he goes through a challenge and grows closer to the Lord because of that, he recognizes the blessing that that is. That yes, we could go through, skate through life and never have adversity because then we don't have to, and then we never even have to rely on the Savior. But what a beautiful experience to learn to rely on the Savior more and more and have him teach you. And I think Nephi understands that. And that's why it's easy for him. To, well, and that's why it's something that he's able to do is have gratitude through all the challenges and really literally appreciate that. And that is something that I definitely, as I was looking through and thinking about some of these, some of these like broken bow experiences in my own life, thinking, okay, moving forward, because undoubtedly there will be more of these moments in my life Mm -hmm. that I am going to make sure that my pattern of turning to the Lord includes giving thanks even in the midst of that, because I want to have a more Nephi-like experience with it, to be honest. Right. And um, I don't know if you're going to go on to to Ishmael, but I love that he keeps going up to the mountain because we know mountains in the scriptures are always examples of the temple. So if you ever see people going up to the mountain, just remember when we try to liken the scriptures unto us that as we go to the temple, we can receive more and more light and understanding. And so when Nephi does this throughout um, the end of first Nephi, I, I kept thinking about, and we can go to the temple and receive further light and knowledge. And so I loved that. And, and go to, and I also Mm -hmm. love that the mountain represents the temple, but it also represents to us that we can, find holy places and create sacred spaces in our life when and where we need them as well. Or literally going to the highest place you can think of in your personal life, metaphorically, Mm. that we need to elevate ourselves. We need to be thinking on that spiritually high plane. And so, yes. To bring our best selves to the conversation, yes. So then we have, so Ishmael dies, and there's a lot of grief that's happening here, a lot of strong feelings. Um, The daughters of Ishmael and, of course, Laman and Lemuel, they're thinking, okay, now we know this was a really bad idea. Despite all these amazing (laughs) things that we've had, now, once again, this challenge comes into our life that is a devastating loss, I'm sure, for them very grief-filled, and they are murmuring again and feeling that. And I think it's interesting 
as Layman sort of has a little monologue against his brother, telling him all these things that he perceives about his brother, that he lies to us and he tells us these things and he works many things by his cunning arts that he may deceive our eyes and he has thought to make himself a king and ruler over us that he may do with us according to his will and pleasure. And I thought, isn't it so interesting? It reminded me of President Nelson has recently said or maybe brought back to the surface something that he had said a while ago that our happiness or our, our joy, I'm paraphrasing, is the focus of our attention. Like that where our focus is, there will be our direction because Laman and Nephi are perceiving things so differently. They're all in the same situation and yet they are looking at it from completely different perspectives. So let's just look at verse 35. It said that the daughters of Ishmael did mourn exceedingly because of the loss of their father and because of their afflictions in the wilderness and they did murmur against my father. So when your father dies in the wilderness and you've been wandering in the wilderness, that is justifiably hard. Nobody's going to argue that that is not a hard thing to do. And I think it's always important to acknowledge hard things. That's, that's real. We don't stuff our feelings down and pretend that life is always perfect. I don't think Nephi ever did that in his experience. Acknowledging pain is important. And these people lost their father. But that's not what happened. They didn't acknowledge it. They mourned exceedingly. And then they started complaining about their afflictions in the wilderness. So they're mourning. But on top of that, they're throwing around their afflictions in the near wilderness. And then it turns into Ishmael's daughters, literally quoting them, our father's dead. Yeah, we have wandered much in the wilderness. That's completely different from your father passing away. We have suffered much affliction, hunger, thirst, and fatigue. Okay, what else can I pile on this? Oh, and we're going to perish in the wilderness with hunger. And then Laman goes, yeah, and this and this and this. Did you see how it all just escalated? Is escalation something that ever happens when people start going negative? Yes. Have you seen that happen where somebody gets triggered by something and it goes negative? Layman's really good at this. And you know what it is, is that we have these thoughts, we have these challenges in life. And when we are not leaning on the Savior, the Satan loves that. He says, yeah, you're justified in that. Go ahead, feed on that. And Laman is the perfect way to get in there because Laman has that going on in his life. You give him an opening and he will feed and escalate on that anger. And so we can see that acknowledging the reality of life and how hard it is is important. Heavenly Father has given us all different emotions. The difference is we are never justified in giving Satan a window to, to go ahead and come into our lives and separate us from each other because that is his biggest tool. Again, unity. There is strength in numbers. And, and as you're talking about that unity, I was thinking, I think it is really important to consider who we turn to in those moments of grief, distress, sorrow, even anger, because one of the things that I've observed as we've been reading through the, this journey with this family is that it's very uncommon for it to be one single person who takes things like five steps too far. There's often, like it's Layman and Lemuel together, and their conversation kind of, they like get further and further along this path like they kind of build upon one another and um 
even in the movies, the Book of Mormon videos that were recently produced, it, it often shows that two people that are, or, or a group of people, even with a group, it can snowball even faster, I think. And yet, and so just like teaming up with someone doesn't automatically bring us to like a healthier, happier spot that I think we need to make sure that we're being careful to use discernment. And we kind of know, like, I think we kind of know those people in our life that if we go to them with something, they'll be like, oh yeah, that was terrible. And they're awful. And they kind of give us permission to be our kind of like the worst version of ourselves in responding to it. And then there are other people that although they can stand in empathy with us and recognize what we are going through, they also um, help us to step into it as our best selves. Well, and I love that you brought that up because I think I'm just going to get on a little soapbox for a second okay. is that our culture loves to just give into that. It's almost like a cultural pastime now that the first person starts and then they can start complaining. We um, live in a culture now where it's socially acceptable to be flying through the air and start complaining because you can't have access to the internet in a plane. I'm sorry, but that's just culturally interesting that we feel that we can be critical and negative about the fact that we do not have instant grant gratification even flying over the earth. <laughs> so my point is, my point is, my point is, is that when President Nelson said in the coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. I think that there's culturally something that that we're in the midst of right now, where if we're not consciously living by the spirit in the direction of the spirit, that it'll be hard for us not to recognize when the people around us are going to that place. So I really like that point. So, yes. And so I think we need to make some forward progress going through here. Um, I think that there were some really important things that we needed to connect with up here. So we're going to move forward. Nephi gets called to the mountain and the Lord instructs him that he's going to build a ship. And again, Laman and Lemuel are not very excited about this. They think this is foolishness. Like every time they need to be re-reminded of Nephi's connection to the Lord, which I think is honestly, like I just look at like even our family life, like parents and children, like do our children not often forget that we have experience and that we are trying to lead them through the Lord? So I really just want to take a second and just point out little endorsement for the, the movies. Okay. Um, last week we talked about Nephi and how he received the vision and how it's wonderful that anytime you can make the gospel more a part of your life, we hear the word of the Lord, we read the word of the Lord, but Nephi received that vision, vision and he saw and he looked. That was one more way to engage um, in the gospel. And so I love visually that if we can visualize the gospel in our life, that's another way to engage and make it more real in our lives. When I talk to my children, I talk to them about the importance of visualizing things. And so like when they pray to Heavenly Father, I'm so happy that they do. But I also say, you know what? If you'd like to have stronger prayers, if you'd like to receive more knowledge and information and connect with the Lord and our Father in Heaven, when you're praying, visualize Heavenly Father, speak to Heavenly Father in your mind's eye. See Heavenly Father. Visualization is a very is another way we can access that. And so, 
we are really blessed with these videos because I can see the youth loving that they can visualize these stories better. But we also have modeled behavior about how some things look. And so I was watching that video and Nephi prayed. He went up to the mountain. He was praying and he asked where he got the molten and he was shown a picture. Yes. And then he went and found it. And I thought that was very interesting because someone like me may have developed a skill where I can listen to the spirit and know what the spirit is communicating to me. And I might have developed a skill where I have seen that. And so I watched that video and I go, oh, I've had that experience before. Mm -hmm. My 11-year-old that watched it, he may never had that experience before. How awesome is it that we have modeled we have modeled visualization that couldn't even com be communicated to us 20 years ago Absolutely. that the church is offering Absolutely. us. This is an exciting time. It, it totally is. <laughs> okay, and go ahead. <laughs> one of the things, I think there's definitely going to be parts of this that we are saying that the that I guess there's some key questions that we can invite as um, our listeners go through and are reading these scriptures to consider. And one of the questions that I thought of was, how do we respond when we're faced with something that we've never done before? We're being asked to respond to something that we had no dress rehearsal for, we have no practice run for, like building a ship, but maybe it's something else, some other circumstance. I think we all have those moments. How do we respond and what is that moment? And as we read through how Nephi responded to it... Or I how think, Laman and Lemuel responded to it. Or how Laman it. and Lemuel responded to it. I think that there are some powerful truths and patterns that we can find for our life. Um, another thing that I thought is um, that sometimes we um, we survive or we are asked to embark on doing impossible things so that we can understand more about the nature of God. He puts us in situations that are maybe ridiculous or that we <laughs> never would have thought that there was a way to make it forward through it. And then as we follow his teachings and his very personalized tutoring in our life, we can see that through the nature of God that we can overcome all of these things. So I love that. Right. So let's pull us actually onto the ship. Although we, so there is also some beautiful things where okay. Nephi uses this experience to teach his brethren a little bit about like, I know you're struggling to see that I have this ability to help you, but let's think back to Moses and how Moses was able to lead everybody through. Well, Go and, ahead. and I want to just point out that Laman and Lemuel use some very logical arguments. Yes. I, <laughs> I just think it's so interesting to watch Laman and Lemuel. They, they have this sense of obedience. Their logic seems sound. And that's where we get tripped up. Logic is a great tool for keeping us from doing the things that the Lord commanded. And so they go through all these reasons why Nephi can't do this. And it's and, and as I was looking at Nephi um, and the logic that Laman and Lemuel were sharing with him, I recognized that, you know, some of these people in this large and spacious building that are pointing their fingers at the people that are partaking of the fruit, they're doing it because they don't even see the fruit. They don't see the tree. They just see a bunch of people walking on a path and foolishly going towards something they can't even see. And, and I recognize that when we follow the Spirit, we are partaking of fruit that may be enhancing our lives on 
an amazing level. And a person right next to us like Laman and Lemuel can be completely blind to that because they don't have the spirit in their life. The atonement is not real for them. And so I think it's a very um, concrete way to think about how Laman and Lemuel really struggle because they can't even see the tree. Yes. They have no idea. And so the foolish imaginations of Nephi's heart can be very realistic to them. And yet we read it objectively and go, this is a powerful revelation for Nephi. And they are really struggling to see that. And that's why it's so interesting to see how they're even motivated to participate in this. Which I think is another way that we see how important it is for us to not only have obedience. Obedience is 100% a key factor. Laman and Lemuel are being obedient here. They are in the wilderness for the eight years, right? They 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 are going along and supporting eventually all of these things. But I think that it has to be partnered, like one of the things I've been observing as we've been reading is that it seems like it has to be partnered with your own personal experiences with the Lord. Mm-hmm. That if you have your own personal experiences with the Lord and you combine that with obedience, then you are in a position to be guided and directed and to really become refined and step into your best self. Which is so interesting because in their minds, they've reached the land of Bountiful. There's honey. There's there's everything they need there. So unless they're led by the Spirit, why in the world would you change anything? Even Nephi is probably receiving this revelation going, okay, I'm in a very comfortable state. We finally got into a place where we're not really suffering on this journey. Oh, okay, I'll go and build a ship and we'll keep going. That's, they've sacrificed a lot. This is not just a wandering through the wilderness with no direction forever kind of feel that they want to have. And I think that there are things that come into each of our lives that if we don't couple our obedience with having personal experiences with the Spirit, with the Lord, developing that intimacy, it will become almost overwhelmingly challenging to step forward, to lean into those promptings that we get. So then I'm skipping forward to chapter 18 at the start of the chapter. He says in verse 2, again with shipbuilding, I did build it after the manner which the Lord had shown unto me. And they say more than one time that um, that this is not how other people have built the ship. This is not after the manner of men. And I just had this beautiful like understanding be reinforced. It was another witness for me that when we are building things that are directed by the Lord, that it does not have to resemble the things that we see in the world around us. It does not have to be done after the manner of men. I thought of that with our families Mm -hmm. as we are parenting Mm -hmm. our children, as we are building that dynamic and tutoring and teaching our children. It doesn't have to look how anyone else does it. If the Lord is directing us that that is what our family needs, that's how we build the ship. That's how we build our family. Our testimonies, even our careers, our own personal development that it needs to follow the path that the Lord tells us it needs to follow, and it's okay, and we can still feel confidence and peace in our journey, even if it's not aligning with how others are doing it. I love that. Have we gotten to the part yet where Laman and Lemuel say, oh, the people in Jerusalem are, were righteous, that right, they right. were obedient? Yes. I don't know if we just yes. we just went we, past that. Yeah. Well, then that just couples beautifully with it, because 
that's the thing is they're like, Jerusalem, those people were obedient. They were living the law of Moses. They are completely bought into, if I do what everybody else does, that is righteousness. And that point you're making is complete contrast to that. What is righteousness is listening to the Lord and knowing what he wants you to do. And I really love that point. I I just really love that because I have found that the less I try to align what I'm building, these, my eternal family, my own salvation, the less I'm worried about it modeling after something that I've observed elsewhere. And I just focus on responding to what the Lord is teaching me. I'm finding the peace that I've been hunting for and I and I love it I'm thankful for it well there's wisdom in both the lower law and the higher law and as you get more and more sophisticated with it they work together but comparison is never a place you want to go to first the Lord is where you always want to go and and I have to say what an amazing example this whole concept uh is of personal revelation will always be followed by works and effort Nephi received personal revelation to build a boat. Did he have works that went with that afterwards? Oh of my course. Gosh. So much work. Right? And he received he personal revelation been... to do that work. Right. Not the other way around. Right. And he could have been playing on the beach. Like they were at a really lovely spot. They've been toiling for years and years and years. And, you know, he could be kind of relaxing. It looks like a vacation delight when you see the Book of Mormon videos. And yet, Without, you know, he digs in and is at peace or feels just a calm centeredness is what I seem to observe, that he is doing what he needs to be doing and he finds satisfaction in that. So if you're a person that really appreciates the concept of works being coupled with faith, don't worry. You wait for that personal revelation. You'll get lots of work. That is true. It's fine. That is true. I never feel like I don't have enough to do, so that is good. So then then we're on the ship, and they've all decided that they are going to leave this beautiful place of... Bounty. Honey <laughs> and bounty and the beach. and The Eden. <laughs> exactly. And get into this boat that they have now participated in preparing, this ship. Go ahead. Well, I just... Uh, oh, are we yes, in verse five? Yes, yes okay. that's where we are. So, and, and yet they're following the voice of Lehi, yes. even though Nephi is getting revelation for the ship. So, but we still know who's presiding over the family. Yes, I love that because we mm-hmm. still have that synergy that, and that that's not threatening to either Lehi or Nephi. I would have to think that they find a lot of comfort and companionship in knowing that there are more people that are receiving direction from the Lord and that it's not a competition. It's not just one person has to receive that. And I just think it's interesting, all the descriptors that Nephi uses here, talking about this rudeness, because this is leading to this big moment on the ship where Nephi gets bound up, that there are a few of them that are speaking with much rudeness, behaving with exceeding rudeness. And And Nephi says he begins to fear. And so he speaks up. Because he's saying, this is not good. This is not how the Lord wants us to do it. They treat him with harshness. They bind him up. Well, he's aware of where their strength comes from. Absolutely. And to not be humble in that is scary. Right. Especially when you're in the middle of the ocean. Right. <laughs> Dependent on a compass that only works if you behave. Right. Like, he's if you like, know what he's you're like, doing. He's like, you guys, what are, what, are, what are we doing here? Let's pull it together. And Laman and Lemuel do not take kindly to that. They've had it. 
they bind him up and they're being pretty stubborn about it for four days. It takes four days for them to admit that they were wrong and not four peaceful days where they just have time to like calmly think about it Four like tumultuous days of this like massive ocean storm battering them down to the point where they think they're going to perish into the sea and the liahona is not working But isn't this a brilliant example of how agency and choice works and how we've already talked about giving in and giving Satan the opportunity to work his way in to a family unit, to any organizational unit, and to use somebody who um, he can really separate and get into that organization and make sure that it's weakened as it's not unified, that that choice that Layman took to um, indulge in that anger, which, you know, he's the firstborn of this family. This whole thing is very frustrating for him. There are children on this boat that are probably very young. They're in tight corners. They There's obviously reason why he's frustrated, but he gives into it, and it is agency, and it is choice that creates this situation of pride, and his pride is what is literally separating all that peace and love that God can give that entire group. It is the choice to be prideful and to be angry that is sustained for four days until it's just obvious that this is, this is the problem. Right. In fact, it says in verse 20, there was nothing save it were the power of God, which threatened them with destruction that could soften their hearts. Wherefore, when they saw that they were about to be swallowed up in the depths of the sea, they repented and they loosed him. And then Nephi says again, just after he's been loosed, he's been bound for four days in the middle of a storm on the ship he built. Like that is incredible. And he says immediately after the first thing, nevertheless, I did look unto my God and I did praise him all the day long. And I did not murmur against the Lord. Agency and choice. Beautiful Nephi. Wonderful example. It is his focus. So Do you want me to use superpowers to... <laughs> exactly. To just pull this through. Because then, not only have we covered all of this and we're arriving at the promised land and we've got the plates, but now we have this little bit of Isaiah, which is pulling us in. And honestly, some of the most beautiful scriptures about the Savior are in here. Mm-hmm. And so we need to touch on those because, again, all of these experiences with this family... Everything directs us back to the Savior. Everything directs us back to that he is the core of our sustenance and of our direction. Well, they arrive in the promised land, and what happens is then Nephi explains what ha- what has happened for them. Right. And then he parallels it with actual scripture that they're used to. Isaiah is 700 B.C. They're 600 B.C. This is their prophet right. that they turn to and his words are beautiful about the savior and and testify of why this is happening and their part in it yes yes and i and i love that even at this at this time i just find it such a beautiful grace and mercy that they were able to know and understand about the savior that would be coming um they and and speaking about um and honestly some really interesting parallels about being misunderstood as well but Mm -hmm. so we're in chapter 19 verse 9 and the world because of their iniquity shall judge him our savior jesus christ to be a thing of naught 
Wherefore they scourge him, and he suffereth it. And they smite him, and he suffereth it. Yea, they spit upon him, and he suffereth it, because of his loving kindness and his long suffering toward the children of men. Mm-hmm. And then continues to testify of all the things that um, the Savior would endure in order to fulfill his purposes here on the earth. And if you want to think about the power of unity and the power that comes through that, in verse 12, it talks about the God of nature suffers. Christ created the earth. He is the ultimate interconnected unifying principle of everything. And this ancient prophet prophesies that that the earth will be rent and there will be groanings of the earth. Mm. Christ is a unifying factor for literally everything. So yes, I would agree with, you know, that. And so, um, and then this concept that comes up here in chapter 20, verse nine, we talk nine and 10, we talk about the furnace of our affliction and that is going to come up more But I think that that is not Mm -hmm. unlike some of the things that Nephi has been experiencing, and really all of them, all of them, this whole journey and... Well, and really all of us. (laughs) Yes, that we are in this time, and it's not just a fire, but that it is um, for purification and sanctification. Mm -hmm. A refining experience, Mm -hmm. yes. And we see there's some beautiful imagery about how... The Lord cares for his people and provides for them. And the one thing he can't do that I thought was interesting right after that, because you're kind of talking down here in 18, 19, 20, Mm -hmm. that in verse 22, what he can't do, the Lord cannot give peace unto the wicked because of agency, because of choice. He can do anything if you ask him and you turn to him and you want that in your life. He can't give you peace if you choose to partake in what layman's been doing. Yes. If you choose that that's not what you want, he will honor your agency and your choice. Um, And then let's pull it. Well, and then he goes through and he shows how um, this is all part of the gathering and the missionary work, which... Um, but the thing I really love is that he states when when Zion says, yes, don't forget you. us. He said, behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Don't forget. He sacrificed everything for us. He remembers all of us. It's just part of the plan. Yes, because and then he says immediately after that, that was verse 16 of 21. Sorry. Correct. And, and I love that he says, others may forget you, your mother may forget you, but I, I will, will not, not forget, forget you. Mm-hmm. And to lift up your eyes and behold all of these things that I'm bringing to pass. He won't forget us and he won't forget the house of Israel in general, that he's grafting in everybody into the house of Israel. This is the collective salvation that we are all, the more unified we are with Christ, the more we can all bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man, which is what that that um, this last part of Isaiah is about. Yes, and I feel like as we are coming off of the New Testament and some of the writings there, particularly some of the more symbolic writings, and as we've been able to see that being represented, that it actually gives a lot of insight to understanding some of these things in Isaiah, which can be very challenging to be read, but if we use those same principles that we did Mm -hmm. from the New Testament to see the context, to see the time period, and to really recognize that everything is directing us back to the Savior and his plan to gather the righteous and to create this this unity with us. Well, I thought specifically in chapter 22, it's a great um, 
correlation with the tree of life and how when you're separated from the tree of life, you have these covenants to bring you back into mm-hmm. the presence of God, that there are other sheep, that the, the, the house of Israel has been separated from the gospel, from saving ordinances, all the blessings of the priesthood. And that is what we're doing in the latter days with the Gentiles and the bringing forth um, the house of Israel gathering that those that have rejected the gospel, defiled the priesthood, that they turn that they're, that we're trying to turn them back to the Lord. That those rejected ordinances and the Abrahamic covenant, we are bringing back t- so that we can gather the house of Israel. Yes, and there was here at the very end of twenty-two one thing that I think is worth mentioning in verse twenty-six. He says, "Because of the righteousness of his people, Satan has no power." He hath no power over the hearts of the people, for they dwell in righteousness. And although this is something that we're speaking of looking forward toward the millennium, I think that we're being handed a key here for how we can have protection from Satan in our lives here today. And I love that concept that Satan is not going to be bound because we're going to borrow Laman and Lemuel's ropes and we're going to tie him up, that he's <laughs> bound because we... because he can find no place within us we we have not made room for him we've not created a guest room for him to come and hang out when we want to you know it indulge that part of ourselves that we have literally made it so that there's no room for him within us bound because michelle mentioned last week last week the atonement is not something that we want to brag about being able to not use there's no merit in that. There's no value in that. The Savior's atonement is for everyone. And I am inclined to say he would much rather be completely dependent on the atonement every second of our lives than to ever say, I went two weeks without needing the atonement. Oh, yes. And so that is why Satan is bound. The atonement is supposed to, to, to just fill our lives with abundance. It is and our light. choice. Mm-hmm. It is our choice to be obedient. It is our choice to have the desire to do God's will, and and He delights in our desire to do that. And so, um, that's how we bind Satan, and that's how we bind Satan in our lives. It may not be the second coming right now, but you can bind Satan in your life by using your agency to choose Christ in every moment. Well, so. Well, Laura, I have so enjoyed our weekly conversations here in the scriptures, starting in the New Testament and then transitioning to the Book of Mormon. It is a highlight of my week and certainly focuses me in on studying a little bit more uh, thoroughly than I would were I not participating in this. I feel the same way. And I know that you are beginning a journey using your time for some exciting upcoming projects. Well, the Lord has asked me to build a ship. Right. Well, um, metaphorically, in case that was confusing on any level. Good, because we live in Arizona and there's not a lot of opportunity. Right, and so I want to go and do, and so I have to take a break for a little bit. But yes, I love sharing my testimony weekly to, to you, Michelle, but there's a significant amount of people that hear my testimony through this podcast every week. And that has been strengthening and sustaining. And like we talked, when the gospel becomes more a real part of your everyday life, you can feel that it is sustaining. And, and I get to read the words and hear the words and discuss these words, but articulate my feelings and my testimony to you in a way that's very exceptional. So it is hard, but but I look forward to whatever is going to happen in the future. So I'm excited. And because you live... 
very close to me. I know that I'll be able to pull you back occasionally to have some in, some great conversations. And in the meantime, I have some really um, not quite as you know, I am certain it'll be very exciting I, and I wonderful think, conversations. I think it'll be really interesting to have some conversations and to get some other perspectives as well. Although I'm going to miss you while you're shipbuilding, Laura. Well, if you know, if you're concerned, I will still read the Book of Mormon and still do come follow me and find ways to teach and preach and talk and rejoice in Christ and give praise and honor and glory to Heavenly Father forever and ever. Amen. I was not even a little worried about that, Laura. Awesome. Talk to you later.